This morning, we're going to start a new series on our core values, what we value here at City Church, some things that we've identified that we value this. This is not exhaustive. Our list of values is not exhaustive, but these are just some some core things that we've identified and, and said, these things are important to us. We want to walk these out. I mean, we could just go on and on and on with a huge list, but you got to you got to kind of boil down some things. It's just important so that we can remember and focus on some. And, and this is one of them that we're going to look at today. Uh, is a life of authentic worship. These core values are on our website and they are on the back of our guest cards. There are eight core values that we have. And this is what it says about on our website about authentic worship. Our worship of God is not merely external but internal from the heart. We not only aim to worship God accurately but affectionately. In our worship, we respond to God's beauty, truth, and worth from the inside out. This involves thinking great thoughts about God, feeling affections for God, and doing simple acts to obey God. We value authentic worship. Jesus said this in John four twenty three and 24. He was talking to this woman of Samaria, a woman who really needed a lot of grace. She had had a lot of bad relationships, and the one she was in currently was not an appropriate relationship. She wasn't married to this guy, and Jesus met her. He called her on it, and she wanted to change the subject, okay? Jesus met her where she was at. When she wanted to talk about theological things and talk about worship and where to worship, the proper way to worship and where, Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is important to God. The Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. That is from the inside out. That is worshiping Him accurately for who He is, knowing who He is accurately and responding to who He is from the inside out, from the core of our being, from our spirit, with from our hearts. And so we don't want to just have... Thoughts, just mere thoughts about God or, or mere external uh, expressions of worship from on the outside of singing, lifting hands, kneeling. But we want to have this internal activity in our spirits, from our spirits, responding to the goodness, the worth, the beauty of who God is. Jesus said in, in Matthew fifteen seven through 9, he told the Pharisees, he said, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's possible for our worship to be vain. And God forbid that that should be so of any of us here. There are many churches that are meeting right now of filled with people that are just going through the motion, standing up, sitting down, reciting creeds, saying prayers, memorized prayers, singing a couple songs, connecting with people, but they're worshiping in vain. Their, their lips externally and their, their words look like they're worshiping God, but in their heart, 
they're far from God. And God forbid that that should be us. We want to be those whose hearts have been captivated by Jesus. We've been won over by the grace and the love and the beauty and the glory of who God is. And we're just responding to who he is. Like the woman in John 7 who had been forgiven much. She had many sins and she knew she was a sinner. And she was responding to the, the, the grace and the love that she experienced from Jesus. Forgiveness from Jesus. And she just poured out her savings on Jesus because Jesus was worth it to her. She was responding to the worth and the beauty of who Jesus is. Psalm 34, go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. We're going to look at a life of worship from King David. What, what better place to look than in the Psalms to look at how to worship and a life that's filled with worship. David models for us a life of worship. And in Psalm 34, we have a, a particular gift because we have a little background about what was going on with, with this psalm, uh, why David wrote this and, and, and how it came came about. Psalm 34, verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, and though, but those who seek the Lord... Lack no good thing. So we'll stop there. We'll finish up the rest later. Here's our big, big idea here is that God desires his people to experience his goodness and respond to him with authentic worship. God desires his people to experience his goodness and respond to him with authentic worship. Notice what David said at the very beginning of this psalm, he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. David was resolved to worship and praise God in the good times and the bad times, all the time. David was committed to that. He was resolved to, to, to sing specifically, praise him, speak well of him. That's the idea with bless. Uh, it means to speak well of. David would speak well of and sing of God's praises and his excellencies. And he says, my soul boasts in the Lord. He blessed the Lord. He praised the Lord. He would boast in the Lord. He would magn He calls the saints to magnify the Lord with him. Job did this when he lost everything. When everything was stripped from his life, his, his family was stripped. His, his goods were, was, were destroyed. His health withering away. I mean, he, God just let him get crushed by the enemy. And by the way, everything in our lives are filtered by a sovereign, wise, and loving father. And, and Job responded with the Lord gives. He worshiped. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Will that be your response in the day of trial, in the day of testing, when you're, when you're being crushed and you're being stripped and you're being broken down? When we respond like that at the loss of our possessions, at the loss of our loved ones, at the loss of good gifts that God has given to us to enjoy in this life, when we respond and worship, when those things are stripped away, we show that God is our ultimate treasure. That he's our greatest joy, that he matters to us more than any of the gifts that he's given us in this life. Be aware of worshiping the gifts rather than the giver. Okay, David was committed to worshiping the giver of every good gift. He praised him, he blessed him, he boasted in, in him. Now many of us like to boast. We're, we're, we're subtle and we're, we're you know discreet in how we do it. Whether it's our iPhones, whether it's our sports teams, whether it's our car, whether it's our, our tool that we have, whether it's our abilities. We just, there's, we're, we're wired to have some element of boasting in our lives. And God doesn't want that boasting to be about ourselves. The only encouragement and affirmation of boasting that God gives in scripture is boasting in Him and what He's done and Boasting in our weakness so that his strength and power would would rest upon us. David said he would make his boast in the Lord. He would exalt and celebrate and boast in the Lord. And notice who he says will hear it, Lord. Let the, let the humble hear it and be glad. The proud don't get excited about boasting in God. The, the proud want to boast about themselves and speak of their own achievements and speak of their own selves. But the humble will hear boasting about God and respond with gladness. David calls the people of God to join him in worship. And he says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This is what we do in corporate worship when we sing and we focus in on who God is. We're magnifying who he is, not trying to make him make him bigger than what he really is, like like a, a microscope. So you can see something small, and make it bigger in your eyes. But so that we can we can get it like a telescope. He's so great. We need a we need a better glimpse of who he is. And we need to focus in on who he is by magnifying him with our praise, speaking about singing about who he is. Some of us are really good at magnifying our difficult circumstances, our displeasures. We have complaints. Man, this stinks. And we, we're really good at magnifying. We call that complaining, right? Magnifying things that we don't like or things that are hard or things that bother us about another person or even about ourselves where we just self-criticism, just magnify the brokenness in our lives. And one of the beautiful things about worship, when we worship God, we focus in on the one who has no flaws. He's perfect. He's beautiful. He's glorious. He's awesome. And we focus in on him and we live in this fallen, broken world and we have so much brokenness within ourselves. It's refreshing for us to focus on him. It changes us when we focus on him, when we focus on who God is and what he's done. It's refreshing to our souls to focus in on him. Imagine what it would look like if if we throughout the week lived lives of continual worship and prayer where we're speaking about God, 
We're thinking about God. We're magnifying God every day. If we were committed and resolved like David was to bless him at all times, to praise him continually. By the way, this is a New Testament sacrifice that the scripture exhorts us to have, whether you're a gifted singer or not. Hebrews 13 uh, 15 is for you. It's a New Testament sacrifice, expression of worship. It says, therefore, through Jesus, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do you want to be, do you want to worship in a New Testament way like the Bible exhorts us to? I mean, this isn't just Old Testament. The Psalm, some people would say that's just Old Testament way of worshiping God. New Testament exhorts us. New Testament sacrifices of worship One of them are sacrifices of praise, the fruit of our lips, singing to his name. Of course, another one is our lives, your bodies being presented as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. But just think, if we live lives of continual worship throughout the week, when we come together in corporate worship, we wouldn't have as hard of a time switching gears. Some of us have a hard time entering in into worship and feeling close to God in our corporate gathering because we haven't been in worship mode throughout the week. And it's like, oh, it's time to change gears into worship mode, right? It's time that we need to switch it up. And it feels a little abrupt at first. And it may be one, two, three, four, five songs before we even feel like we've entered in. We may go through the whole service and not feel like we've connected with God at all. But I think, I believe this, and I know this from experience, that the more we practice a life of worship throughout the week, we're spending time with God, we're getting a glimpse of who He is, the more, when we come together, the the more uh, life-giving and joyful and delightful and pleasant these times together are going to be in our corporate worship. The more freedom we're going to have. But we're human beings and we have life going on. We have kids. We have jobs. We have fears. We have hopes, dreams. We have appetites. We need to get some food. We need to get rest. We got things going on in our lives that we're thinking about that are on our minds. And God wants us to just slow down, come to him, enjoy him, delight in him. Amen? So changing gears. Paul Tripp says this about Corporate worship. He says, corporate worship is designed to lure you away from your little kingdom of one and enthrall you again with God's kingdom of glory and grace. It is designed to remind you that every good gift in your life has come from the hand of a holy, wise, and loving giver. It's designed to dismantle your pride and ignite your celebration of the glory and the grace of your Savior. That's what corporate worship is designed to do. We need this. Some Christians would would push back on, why do we have to do this? Can't we just worship God at home? Why do we need to gather with other Christians and sing and hear the word of God and fellowship and, and be a part of a local church? Well, first of all, the scripture says don't neglect the meeting together. Don't neglect uh, meeting together as is the manner of some. So we're exhorted in Hebrews 10 to do so. But we're encouraged and spurred on by one another's love and faith. Testimonies. When you share testimonies of how God has delivered you, of how, as God has provided for you, as God has worked through you in sharing your story, sharing the gospel with coworkers, it spurs on others. It stirs others to love and good works. We need this. We need God and we need one another. And when we gather in corporate worship, 
We experience God in a different way than when we do when we're just alone in our prayer closet. We, we get to hear about what God's doing in the rest of the family. David says, come, let us exalt his name together. We're a family, a family of faith, and we exalt his name together. And God inhabits the praises of his people when we, when we praise him. Verse 4, David, he's giving his testimony, one of his testimonies. And he says this, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried to the Lord and he heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Worship is a response to who God is and what God does. Uh, here in this psalm, we see David responding to the goodness of God. David experienced the goodness of God. It wasn't just theory for him. It wasn't like, yeah, I believe in the attribute of the goodness of God because I, I read it in this book, right? This systematic theology book or the Bible. He experienced the goodness of God in his life through a specific deliverance through a specific time when he was flooded with fear. Why was he flooded from with fear? Well, this psalm gives us a little bit of background of what was going on in David's life. In 1 Samuel 21, David was running from Saul, the king of Israel, who wanted to kill him. Chunking spears at him. Saul was jealous of him. David had killed Goliath. You know, and, and the Israelites were like, yeah, David, he's... So it says, David rose and he fled from that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And, and the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down thousands, but David, ten thousands. Saul didn't like that song. And David took these words to heart and he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Hey, these are the Philistines. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see, this man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Would you want this guy to come in your house? D David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So here's the background. It's kind of a weird story. So David's running for his life. He spent several years running. You know, a lot of these psalms come out of major distress where it looks like he might not make it, where he's so close to death and God shows up and delivers him. Saul and his armies after him. And now David shows up with the enemies of Israel. Okay, like he, no, where else does he go? So he goes to, hangs out with the enemies of Israel there and he's afraid when he hears them talk about, isn't this that guy, David? You know, the, the one who killed Goliath, our big guy there. And, and David experienced fear. I, and I love, I love the rawness about the Psalms, by the way. They hit on like all the human emotions that we experience. Loneliness, anger, discouragement, depression, joy, 
delight, uh, frustration, hurt, betrayal. I mean, all the kind of experiences we have. One of the, one of the reasons why we love the Psalms is because they, we can identify with, with the humanity of, of the psalmist, of like struggling through life. And so David experienced some fears. He sought the Lord. Notice how David, and, and in your Bibles, there should be a little inscription here regarding this psalm that, that tells us, that gives us a hint of, of what story this is. It says, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. So David acted like a madman. He acted like he was, you know, just kind of out of his mind. It was kind of weird. He was kind of dripping, scratching at the door. It's a very interesting strategy to try to get delivered from this king. You know, I, there's probably lots of prisoners that have tried this strategy, pleaded insanity, like, don't don't send me to the death row because I'm just crazy, right? Uh, so David acted like a madman. Now he could, he could say, and, and we don't see him doing this, he could say, I outsmarted those guys and, and my wisdom delivered me from, from my enemies. I was sharper than my enemies. But here he attributes what happened to God. He says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. God delivered me. God delivered me from my enemies. It looked really bad. I was afraid. I, he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried out. The Lord heard him and saved him. And so David's responding to the goodness of God that he experienced in his life. The, the hand of God to deliver him and to, to show his kindness to him. So he says to taste and see. I love this verse 8. It's an interesting concept. Taste and see that he's good. This picture we have here of some pancakes with some fruit on it. It's not enough for me to just describe to you how delicious it is. You won't really know how delicious those pancakes are unless you bite into them and you experience the savor, the flavor in your mouth. I can tell you about God all day and how good he is and how amazing he is and how faithful he is. We can sing about that all day. But unless you come to him in faith, you seek him, you call out to him, you cry out to him and give him an opportunity to show up in your life, in your circumstance, then you won't be able to taste and see that he's good. A.W. Tozer says this, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence and may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and the center of their hearts. It's not enough for us to just know about God. We want to know him here. We want to know him intimately and accurately. We want to respond to who he is, have an, having an accurate view of who he is and worshiping him for who he is from our hearts. We want our affections to be stirred. We want him to get our attention off of worthless things. Some of us have settled for a life in front of a screen Instead of a life beholding the beauty and the glory of who God is. And we wonder why we struggle to enter into worship. 
because we've been gazing on everything else in the world. And God's saying, come, come look at me. David said in Psalm 27, 4, he says, one thing I've desired, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, beholding the beauty of the Lord and inquiring in his temple. Do you have that one consuming passion and desire in your heart to behold God for who he is? The way that you and I can taste and see that he's good is by coming to him in faith. Coming to him in prayer, taking refuge in him, trusting in him. Jesus said in John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Coming to Jesus and tasting of his goodness and who he is. Tim Keller says this about worship. The secret to freedom from enslaving sin patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and be moved by it. Moved to tears. Moved to laughter. Moved by who God is and what God has done for you. When was the last time you were moved to tears by who God is? When was the last time you were moved to gratitude? When was the last time you were moved to spontaneous praise? Just God, just thanking and praising God for who he is. Worship is something that should flow out of our hearts. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When, when the Lord has our hearts, we can't help but overflow and talk about him and praise him and share him with others. Notice that David also relied upon the Lord. He said, I sought the Lord. Uh, Those who look to to the Lord are radiant. This poor man cried out to the Lord. He describes himself as as a poor, needy person in need of God's help. I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. He says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. David relied upon the Lord and experienced his goodness. He trusted God. He looked to God. God showed up in his circumstance. And the implication here is this. David saying, God did this for me and he'll do it for you. He intervened in my life. You taste and see that he's good. Saints, blessed, happy is the person who takes refuge in him. So David experienced that. God wants us to experience that as well. After that, the psalm kind of shifts into uh, like a wisdom and exhortation to fear the Lord. He's saying, come learn from me. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing? Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. So the fear of the Lord is a description of somebody whose life is on the trajectory of worshiping God and honoring God. And the righteous, the godly, are terms that the Old Testament uses of those who are worshiping God. Reverence and adoration, reverencing who God is, um, giving respect and honor to who God is. And David says here, come and I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. 
And he gives some practical expression. If you want to live a life of worship, it's more than just your lips singing praise to God. Okay? But it's, it's, it's also your tongue from ceasing from speaking evil and deceit and then turning away from evil and doing good and pursuing it. Here's a life of worship. It's not enough to just have our lips singing praises to God. And what a paradox it is when our lips sing praises to God and then curse our brother or sister and speak negatively, gossip and slander and things that tear down a brother or sister. What a paradox it is, James tells us. Can fresh water and bitter water come out of the same opening? There's something wrong with that, right? And so David exhorts. He had the fear of the Lord and he called others to fear the Lord as well. In the rest of the psalm, verse 15 through 22, there's descriptions that God gives us of God's goodness towards his people. Here's some reasons that we should praise God because these are benefits that we get to experience through having a relationship with God. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. We get God's attention as his people. His eyes are on us. God sees you, Colleen. God sees you, Brock. God sees you, Nicole. God, God sees you and hears you, Lori. God sees you, Sheila, and he hears your cries. Sometimes we feel alone, and sometimes we feel like nobody sees and nobody cares, but that's not true. God sees you, Rachel. His eyes are on you, and his ears are open to your cry. Just think, if we really believe that, if we took this to heart, how that would change our quiet times. And maybe for those of us who aren't having any quiet times, maybe it would make us start having quiet times. If we really believe God hears me, he's listening to me, his eyes are on me, and he cares. Yet the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. That's how David experienced the goodness of God in his life. Here's another one. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. When you're broken and smashed and crushed, by the painful circumstances of life in this broken world that we live in, God says he's near. He's near. What, what, what an amazing gift we have with his nearness. And we need to be more aware of his presence. And I think that's key to us. Key to us experiencing him and tasting of his goodness is, is being aware that he is near. Believing that he is Emmanuel, he is near us. When we draw near to him, he draws near to us. That's something that happens in worship. We delight in him in our worship. We express our affection and love and delight in who he is. And you know what? He also takes delight in us in our worship. His delight and our delight meet and we experience intimacy with God. In our worship. And then we get to experience that together as the people of God. When we sing together and magnify his name together. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. None of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. 
And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. And none who take refuge in him will be condemned. Notice all these expressions of goodness that that you and I get to experience as his people, as the people of God. We get protection. We get redemption. We get God's nearness. We get God's attention. We get this relationship with him. We're not alone. He's for us. He's with us. And we get to spend eternity with him in a world of perfect love. We need to, to feel that. You know, it's not, a, it's not enough for me merely tell my wife that I love her. And especially if there's no emotion in it or no, if, it's not, if it doesn't seem heartfelt. She needs to hear that I love her, but also she needs to feel that I love her too. In, in that relationship. If I, if I just say, hey, sweetie, I want to take you on a date, but I said it in a way that I wasn't very excited about it. That's not going to delight her. She wants to know that I desire to be with her, that I delight to be with her. This element of our affections towards God is important to be authentic worshipers. Because there are many people who just, who just try to, to worship God externally or maybe mentally, just with their mind. They're just, they're logical. God doesn't just want us to think great thoughts of Him. He wants us to have great affections for him. That's our heart responding to who he is. And he's jealous for us when our hearts get more excited about the things of this world than him. Like we're wired to to have emotional responses. We're wired to respond to God with affections and emotions and he's glorified in that when we do, when we're affectionate towards him. Our sports teams, we get excited about our sports teams. We get excited about good news, about a, having a baby, a baby shower, or uh, a graduation, or some special event in life. And we praise, we get excited, we respond. And God is glorified when we respond to him here. So this week, I want to challenge you to set an appointment with God this week and keep it. Set an appointment with God and keep it. I, I think it's good to set appointments with God every day and keep them. But we need a plan it. We need a plan to we're gonna be with God and we're gonna we're gonna show up and spend time in the Psalms reflecting on who He is and what He's done in your life. Use the Psalms for prayers. Use the Psalms to fuel your praise. If your heart is not moved towards God, what I do when, when I feel like my heart's not being moved towards God is I just, I spend time looking at this word, beholding who he is, and let the heat that comes from scripture warm my heart, ignite my heart, fuel my heart to praise and worship who he is. Uh, and then ask God to capture your heart. Ask him to capture your heart with the glory of who he is. You can pray Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so with that said, I want to just pause and pray. And then if we could sing, I want to sing a chorus together. I want to sing the doxology together if you know it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And and I want to open up if there's another song, a familiar song that you know that you want to spontaneously lead out in. I want to give some space for that here. Acapella. Father, 
thank you for your people. Thank you that we are loved by you. Thank you that you have lavished us with goodness and grace. And I pray that each of us would taste and see that you're good afresh. And that our hearts would be ignited and fueled to praise you, God. That that fuel would be fuel for missions flame to to move us to tell others about you. That 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 delight and joy in you would be fuel to to our obedience and our laying out laying down our lives to do your will. I ask these things in Christ's name.